It was a Civil War prison in Richmond, Virginia, housing thousands of Union soldiers captured during that war. After the war, someone thought the building would make a good tourist attraction in Chicago. This is the story of the Libby Prison War Museum. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. This is one of the stranger stories I have researched on a few levels, but here goes. Richmond, Virginia in 1845. Three separate structures were built by John Enders Sr. along the James River for use as a tobacco factory when Enders was killed in a fall from a broken ladder during the construction of one of the warehouses. His family leased the buildings to a man named Luther Libby who in 1854 opened L. Libby & Sons, selling shipping supplies and groceries. In 1861, the Civil War began with Virginia on the side of the Confederacy. Union prisoners started showing up in Richmond after the First Battle of Manassas on July 21st, but were originally housed at a facility at Main and 25th Streets. That location proved a bit difficult to secure, and after the number of Union prisoners increased after these seven days' battles in June of 1862, Luther Libby's building was taken over as an officers-only detainment facility. Prisoners occupied the two top floors, which consisted of six barely furnished rooms. There were no bunks and very few benches, Wooden bars covered small windows that were otherwise open to the elements, so unbearably hot in the summer, freezing in the winter, the small windows allowed for very little light. The first floor had a kitchen and a hospital and guard rooms. The cellar had a carpenter shop and an area for housing slaves. It also had four cells for the truly dangerous inmates housed at Libby. Now, while on paper Libby Prison may have made sense, it was located near rail and water transportation and was in an isolated area, the living conditions were unsuitable. In addition to the uncovered windows and no bunks, prisoners often did not have blankets or any utensils with which to eat. By the winter of 1863, the initial prisoner population of 700 had grown to beyond 1,000, the prison's capacity. Overcrowding led to hunger, malnutrition, and disease, and disease, well, that, that led to death. While prisoners were supposed to receive the same food rations as Confederate soldiers, food shortages in 1863 made that impossible. The November 28, 1863 New York Times included a report from surgeons that had been recently released from Libby Prison titled, Horrors of the Richmond Prisons. The surgeons wrote that the prevailing afflictions of prisoners were diarrhea, dysentery, and typhoid pneumonia, and, quote, of late, the percentage of deaths has greatly increased, the result of causes that have been long at work, such as insufficient food, 
clothing and shelter combined with that depression of spirits brought on so often by long confinement, end quote. Those surgeons estimated 50 prisoners per day were dying due to conditions at the Libby prison. In response, provisions were sent by the U.S. War Department to Libby Prison in order to supplement Confederate supplies. According to an inmate, quote, at least one half of the pork sent by the United States government for distribution among the Union prisoners at Richmond had been taken by the Confederate government to be forwarded to General Lee's army, end quote. In February of 1864, 109 prisoners escaped through a tunnel, with 59 eventually reaching Union lines. 48 were recaptured and two drowned in the James River. That escape is considered to be one of the most famous prison breaks during the Civil War. After Richmond fell to Union forces on April 2nd, 1865, the former Confederate officials became Libby's newest inmates. Also in April of 1865, Abraham Lincoln toured the area near Libby Prison from the book Incidents and Anecdotes from the Civil War by Admiral Porter, published in 1885. Quote, The president stopped a moment to look at the horrible Bastille where so many Union soldiers had dragged out a dreadful existence and were subject to all the cruelty the minds of brutal jailers could devise. We will pull it down! cried the crowd, seeing where his look fell. No, he said, leave it as a monument. I share with you the history behind Libby Prison for a reason. In 1888, when it was announced that a group of investors was planning on taking the Libby Prison building apart brick by brick and having it transported to Chicago to be used as a war museum, some found the idea off-putting. The February 15, 1888 Richmond Dispatch newspaper included these words from a federal officer who claimed he was at the evacuation of the prison. Quote, the proposal to remove Libby Prison is a piece of disturbing impertinence that no prisoner of war who was ever confined in it would for a moment have anything to do with. It is neither the dictate of patriotic devotion nor the wise purpose of good citizenship. The projectors might as well propose to resurrect the skeletons of the noble dead who sleep in southern graves and cemeteries and take them around to gratify the morbid curiosity of deluded spectators. I trust the good people of Richmond will take measures so that the old prison will not be removed and used for the purpose of filling the pockets of the ghoulish company who planned the nefarious project. End quote. Leading the efforts to bring the prison to Chicago was German-born Charles Frederick Gunther, who emigrated to the States and eventually made his way to Illinois and started a successful candy-making business he ran out of a storefront on State Street. On the second floor of his shop, he had a museum of oddities. Many of the pieces in the collection were those of the, wait for it, Civil War. More on that in a few minutes. As for getting Libby Prison to Chicago, well, the process of dismantling the former prison began in December of 1888. Each wood board, beam, 
timber and block of stone was numbered and cataloged to aid in rebuilding it correctly once it reached Chicago. The contract for hauling all this went to the Chesapeake and Ohio Railroad Company, which kept boxcars near the building at the ready, and as soon as a carload was full, it was sealed and sent on its way to Chicago, some 800 miles away. This project required 132 20-ton cars, the last of which departed Richmond in June of 1889. A column in the June 6, 1889 Pacific Bee newspaper from Sacramento, California, included a conversation purportedly overheard by someone at Chicago's Palmer House the previous month. A prominent dealer in agricultural implements from the South was overheard saying, The day the Libby Prison Show is opened, I cease to buy goods in Chicago. I tell you, sir, the bringing of Libby Prison to Chicago as a show will cost her people millions of dollars in the loss of Southern trade. The war is over, and any city that tries to keep alive the hatreds engendered by it makes a wide mistake. All over the South, this is the feeling. The trade Chicago loses will go to New York, Philadelphia, and Baltimore. End quote. While the Libby prison was being taken apart, a massive stone wall that looked very castle-like was being erected on Wabash Avenue between 14th and 16th Streets. The rebuilding of the Libby prison was completed early in September, and the museum opened to the public on September 21st, 1889. Instead of being put off by this new Chicago attraction, reminding visitors of the approximately 620,000 soldiers who died in combat or from accidents, starvation, and or disease during the Civil War, crowds came out in droves. Estimates put the first year's attendance at 250,000, Each adult paying 50 cents, a little more than $14 in today's money, with kids under 12 at half that. The Prison Museum was open from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., seven days a week. Advertisements claim the museum housed thousands of relics of the Civil War, and they weren't exaggerating. Inside the building, visitors could see such artifacts as Abraham Lincoln's deathbed, bloodied clothing from Lincoln's assassination, the seats from Ford's theater where Lincoln was assassinated, the Appomattox table upon which Generals U.S. Grant and Robert E. Lee drew up the papers for the surrender of the Confederate Army, which signaled the end of the Great Civil War, war logs, a collection of tree stumps filled with bullets and shells allegedly taken from the battlefields of Chickamauga, Kennesaw Mountain, Buzzard's Roost, Chattahoochee, Lookout Mountain, and Gettysburg. Flags, arms, ammunition, money, etc. from Richmond and other parts of the Confederacy. War manuscripts, personal letters, shrunken heads, swords, and sabers. Honestly, I've got lists and lists and lists. It's bonkers. C.F. Gunther also had a piece of snakeskin that he claimed was from the serpent in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to let that linger for a moment. He also tried to acquire an Egyptian pyramid and Philadelphia's Independence Hall so he could bring them to Chicago, but found out they were not for sale. 
For a more visual representation of the inside of the Libby Prison War Museum, check out the Chicago History Podcast social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, where I'll post images of all this fun slash bizarre stuff throughout the week. In addition to employing Civil War veterans as staff, the Libby Prison War Museum actually became a destination for Civil War veterans who held reunions there. One of the groups that met there was made up of seven of the men who escaped the prison, who now called their group the Libby Prison Tunnel Association. An article in the Chicago Chronicle newspaper claimed the Toastmaster for the event closed the evening by singing The Continental Farewell, a song he used to sing while imprisoned with the other men, bringing tears to the fellow soldiers' eyes. In December of 1892, a paragraph in the Chicago Tribune announced that the cabin once occupied by Uncle Tom, the character from the Harriet Beecher Stowe novel, was being transported from a Red River plantation in Louisiana to Chicago for display on the north side of the South Wabash lot next to the Libby Prison War Museum with hopes of opening New Year's Day. There's a few problems with this. And a few of you are way ahead of me on this. Uncle Tom was a fictional character, one that most historians agree was based on the experiences of Josiah Henson, which Stowe grudgingly acknowledged after her novel came under scrutiny. Also, Henson had never lived in Louisiana, escaping slavery in Kentucky in 1840 with his wife and two children, later settling in Canada. Henson later dictated his story, which would become the book The Life of Josiah Henson, formerly a slave, now an inhabitant of Canada, as narrated by himself. I looked for some acknowledgement by promoters that this cabin was a symbolic replica, but couldn't find one. Of course, it didn't matter too much, as the cabin itself wasn't much of a draw. Although the World's Fair of 1893 drew thousands of visitors to Chicago, the Libby Prison War Museum wasn't close enough to draw some of those visitors to 16th and Wabash. By March of 1895, there were already rumblings about finding a new use for the property. The public's interest in the museum had begun to wane, and the expense for upkeep was not inconsequential. There were rumors that Ringling Brothers was considering the property for a permanent site for their circus. The Chicago Hussars, an independent equestrian military organization that served as the escort to the presidential party at the opening of the Columbian Exposition, also considered it. There was even some talk about shipping the prison building back to Richmond, Virginia. By July of 1897, the Libby operators had begun to list items for sale in the newspapers. One that hadn't gotten a ton of attention as an attraction was a one-story, 40-foot-long cabin that Thomas Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's father, had built near Charleston, Illinois, with the stipulation that the cabin and surrounding land be held by Abraham Lincoln for as long as he lived. In September of 1897, newspapers announced that the Libby Prison War Museum would only be open for a short time longer, which led to a brief surge in visitors. In September 1898, Charles F. Gunther plotted a new course, at least for the property at Wabash between 14th and 16th Streets. 
As Chicago was becoming a destination for conventions, it was announced that the Libby Prison War Museum site would become the third iteration of the Chicago Coliseum and would be a 15,000-seat auditorium. In a nod to the past, Charles Gunther kept part of the Libby's facade to serve as a wall of the far larger Coliseum building. This new Coliseum served as the location of several more decades of spectacles, but that story is going to have to wait for another episode. When the Coliseum came down in 1892, the bricks from the Libby Wall were transported one last time to the Chicago History Museum. The remaining pieces of the Libby Prison building were either disposed of or sold as scrap. Charles J. Danielson, a farmer from Hamlet, Indiana, about 80 miles southeast of downtown Chicago, bought much of the wood and timber to build a ginormous barn on his property, sharing some of the wood with another local farmer named Davis. A historical marker was placed near the barn on Highway 35 in Indiana, informing passers-by about the history of the barn's wood. Mr. Danielson's daughter later sold that barn in December of 1963, allegedly due to the number of sightseers trampling on the property and those damaging the barn looking for pieces of memorabilia. In addition to running the Libby Prison War Museum, Charles F. Gunther also served two terms as a Chicago alderman from 1896 to 1900 in the Second Ward. He was succeeded by William Big Bill Thompson, the subject of episode 117 of this podcast. Gunther also served as city treasurer from 1901 to 1903 and sought the Democratic Party's nomination for governor, but lost to Adlai E. Stevenson. A 1984 Tribune article claims that Gunther offered to donate his entire collection to the city in 1900, but the city declined when Gunther died in 1920 at the age of 82. His wife offered to sell the items to the Chicago Historical Society for $150,000. That's nearly $2 million in today's money. After a few years of extending deadlines and raising funds, the Historical Society was able to procure much of the Gunther collection. The Abraham Lincoln deathbed is currently on display. In place of where the original Libby prison stood in Richmond, Virginia, is the James River flood wall, built after a series of area floods. There are numerous plaques on the site marking the prison spot in that city's history. Luther Libby, the man whose warehouse was taken over to be used as a prison, died in August of 1871 at age 65. It must have been odd for him to have his name associated with the Libby prison. One wonders what he would have thought about that building being moved 800 miles to Chicago to be used as a museum. Like many notables from Chicago's history, Charles Gunther is buried in Rose Hill Cemetery in a large mausoleum. I could find no record of whether he was buried with any of the oddities he had collected over the years. I 
enjoyed today's episode about the Libby Prison War Museum here in Chicago. Do you have any questions about anything covered today? Anything to add or have an idea for a future episode? I want to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review or just tell a friend about it. It will help the podcast grow and reach new fans. Your written review may even be featured on a future episode or on social media. The Chicago History Podcast logo and the art used on these social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, Johnny. You can be found at Angel Eyes Art JKS on Instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with another chapter in Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.